0: Welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. Happy Monday. Hope you're having a great week. Um, we've got a great show for you today. We are talking with our good friend, Kat Shot Mancini. Uh, I first met Kat when I went to Crew Coffee for the first time as somebody who barely knew anything about coffee. She was behind the bar, she was very friendly, very knowledgeable. Um, I got formally introduced to Kat through Kevin um, because he is the social butterfly. We became friends through our shared love of good emo pop punk music from the you know early two thousands, and you know our shared desire to see the coffee community grow in our region. Cat has since moved back to Connecticut with her significant other, uh, got a couple of coffee jobs that. Didn't work out for her, weren't exactly what she was looking for. And she has now exited the coffee community professionally. Um, and she's found herself a desk job that she is liking very much. It's early. But what we talk about today is exiting the coffee industry and why that is a topic of conversation, especially lately uh, at the tail end of the pandemic. After so much toil and so much heartache and drama, people, I think, are fed up with the kind of working conditions in the service industry in general. The conversation veers into different avenues of political arguments surrounding labor and wages, unionization, and socialism. And it's just an interesting kind of blending of kind of the reality of labor and the future of it and what people dream up for our communities and and our society all right people have a great week i hope you enjoyed this podcast episode Um, don't forget to leave a positive rating if you can Uh, a review is even better Uh, follow us on instagram we're also on twitter now and we have a Discord channel. All of that stuff will be either in the link in our show notes here, or you can go to the link in our bio in our on our Instagram, which is kind of our primary page. Final note, listeners of this podcast can save 10% on our bag of all-day ADK, our flagship coffee blend that we collaborated on with Knockabout Roasters by using the code PODCAST to check out. It is delicious It is approachable And right now we're running our summer blend Which is a little more fruit forward A little brighter Great for iced coffee Um, That's it I hope you have a great week Remember to reach out to your friends In the LGBTQ community The BIPOC community The AAPI community Um, Stay in contact with all of your homies Make sure everybody is feeling safe And heard And understood And... Be good to people. Love y'all. Have a great week. I know. And that was I've been, I, I, sure I, I followed suit, but I just want to be sure.
1: I was so sure. It was a sure
0: shot. I hate myself. I'm going to cut. It it. I'm going to cut <laughs> all of that. And <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. My name is Matt Pfeiffer. My co host, Kevin co-host. Miner. <laughs> That's right. Talking shit
1: all the time. All the
0: time. <laughs> our guest today is our good friend, returning guest, Cat Shot Mancini. Cat
1: Shot Mancini! Woo-hoo. Hi, buddy. I'm, I'm a body. Greetings. A Just to get right into it, uh, because I think this will be a nice little updated version of this question. Uh, for the listeners, Cat, who are you? How are you
2: doing? And what do you do? So, my name is Cat Shot Mancini. Um, I was a coffee educator for about 10 years. I worked and managed um, a couple of shops. I've done roasting, quality control. Um, I used to volunteer with Expo, with the SCA. I am still an SCA certified instructor, although I have recently exited the coffee industry on a professional level, kind of going down to just mm-hmm. a hobby, um, my passion project that does not give me money to exist. Um, I am great. Um, currently, I am working in water equipment, basically process equipment. Think of like water filtration. Oh,
1: cool.
2: It's kind of like, you know, coffee's on one side, but like water and all that stuff. And then it's kind of like, I'm on like the industrial side, but still within water, which is kind of cool. There is a lot of kind of like crossover.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, which is very helpful. But, yeah, I'm great.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say... here. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you. I was going to say a, a very silly way for me to view that would be to say, oh, you're working water. That's coffee adjacent.
2: So I just started. And so far, it's interesting. It's mostly dealing with like, the equipment itself. So it's learning about like the different products that the company I work for sells and different stuff they're doing, um, different projects they're working on. Um One of their biggest customers is Pfizer. So working directly on the vaccine. They also help source products to assist with COVID test kits. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been interesting so far. Um, It's a lot of just like... Honestly data processing at this point for my responsibility. Oh,
0: I fucking love data.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just pointed at Matt. <laughs> like, love data. <laughs> That's, That's all what I you, do. Buddy. Um
0: <laughs> okay, I really want to dig into the fact that you left the coffee industry after so long um having all of these seemingly uh, to me, right as a noob in the industry like unattainable accolades. Like yeah. you know, volunteering at SCA, coffee, like educator. coffee educator, you were a roaster. You have certifications or at least you have the ability to, um, to do maintenance on like La Marzocco espresso machines, right? Certified. You're a certified La Marzocco technician technician. Mm-hmm. So like, so like all these things, uh, it, to me seems like, you know, the makings of a very successful career in coffee, um, but you exited the coffee industry. And I guess a lot of people reached out to you and were like, hey, congratulations. Also, how did you do it? Because I'm also trying to do that, which is a huge conversation that needs to be had in yeah. our sector. So I guess I'll start with, um, give us a little bit of backstory about sort of maybe uh, where you were over the last you know year or two, and then talk to us about um, what led you to exiting the coffee industry?
2: Yeah, so as you know, I have relocated to Connecticut upon last summer, and I was at Crew for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did some of the tech service calls, and I was one of the um, full-time baristas there. I moved to Connecticut, I initially got a job working as a barista, but also roasting. Um, so I started like. Roasting versus company in a little bit. And I realized that like, man, I don't don't think I like roasting anymore. Um, Part of it was because I didn't have the control. Like I was creating the profiles, but also I had to like, basically when I was roasting previously for a company in Newport, Rhode Island, I had full control. I did my own quality control. I did my own green buying. Mm -hmm. I did what I want. It was my production facility essentially. So I was using someone else's green, someone else's parameters, and I had to follow a lot of basically like regulations the company set up for me to adhere to. And Mm -hmm. I bypassed about 90% of those regulations, created a better product. It sold better. Customers liked it more. The staff liked it more. The owner was very resistant to a and honestly, in his words, a tiny woman changing his production.
0: Wow. Oh, hell no.
2: I was cut off by that. Um, so I started roasting for them. Um, and then, whereas the, ownership, the owners themselves were really great people, upon hearing that, I was kind of like, e- that's not how you treat somebody. Um, or talk about somebody, whether you think they're going to hear it or not. So mm-hmm. that was my first kind of notch, like I, you know, I'm working in customer facing role, like in person during a pandemic where like you're literally exposing yourself every day. Like I found out I was on odds exposed to COVID-19 in my workplaces at least once a day by somebody. Wow. And that's kind of terrifying. Um, and that was like the first thing. That really made me want to leave the industry because I was like, I want to I want to do something where I am i don't feel like I'm putting myself at risk. I'm not physically on my feet for 10 hours a day because that was another thing in shops I've worked at is in the service industry in general. It's like you see those memes, right, where you're like crouched down behind a counter eating for two seconds between customers and because mm-hmm. you can't take a break. That's the reality of working in most coffee shops from my personal experience. I can't speak to other places, but most places I have worked is scheduled breaks are very difficult, especially during pandemic times because your staffing is so disorganized. And working during this pandemic, it was just like one thing after another, like long shifts, no breaks. Um, Business is slowed. You're not having nearly the same customer volume you once had. So tips are going to be lower and wages are not going to be adjusted to make up for your tips, especially if you're reliant on tips as your main source of your income. And in coffee, I mean, you guys know that you get an hourly and your tips and your tips usually are almost double what your hourly is um, when you break it down mathematically. So I left that shop I first started at um, I also found out the owners were paying Themselves with our credit card tips That Ooh. was their wages
1: Ooh, And that's whoa.
2: wage theft
1: Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly what that is That's a certain shade of Embezzlement right there
2: Exactly, so myself And another new hire who had Moved to the area from out of state We both have like similar coffee backgrounds We both resigned the same day We are like, nah, nope. we're not dealing with these for this so um right so i started at another shop that's more it is a good coffee shop but they're not a coffee shop i would consider them kind of like casual dining mm-hmm. with a with like an espresso bar and they do alcohol service whereas their coffee they use great you know coffee comp they, they use kuma coffee which is great mm-hmm. and um some other like edison they have in for retail sales they had ceremony, they used bolt coffee at one point. They're so okay. really great. Um, their focus shifted from the coffee program more short towards dining mm-hmm. and the food aspect. Mm-hmm. So, my job was pretty much mostly you know working in a cafe, but there were aspects of it to where I was essentially a server. I had to be a bartender. I had to know a food menu like the back of my hand, lots of food running, um, it was just way more than being in a coffee shop. And in that position, the tips were great, but if there were so many factors that came down to like how these customers were tipping you and that really affected my mental health. So I was kind of like working in a pandemic. Number one, is kind of like, this is really hard. I don't feel valued most of the time. Like at crew, I'm going to shout them out because like, they did everything right until like having a staff during a pandemic. They made Mm -hmm. me feel so safe and that like, I was comfortable going to work every day, bent over backwards to make sure like everything was great. Like they did it right. But everywhere else I've been since they put the employee safety second. So like the last place I was at, nobody was vaccinated. The whole staff at multiple times was like, I'm not comfortable doing indoor dining until we're vaccinated. The owner was like, we're doing indoor dining. I, that sucks. You got to deal with it. We had an immunocompromised staff member who was like, I can't get vaccinated. I'm not comfortable with working here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. And basically the owner was like, you guys, if you don't like it, you don't have to be here. Um. So that whole experience really just made me kind of hate the coffee industry because I heard so many similar stories from folks. Where like i didn't feel safe i got to off the schedule i stood up for myself i like, advocated my needs mm-hmm. and they didn't listen to me yeah um so that's what made me really kind of look at this industry differently is because of how these shop owners who are seem so progressive so mindful you know they're doing all this transparency like would black lives matter and protest and participating in protests and closing their stores early so employees can protest but then when it comes down to the, you know, to COVID-19 issues, you know, you have eight people saying, I don't feel safe. You're putting my health at risk. I'm not comfortable being here and telling you to essentially like, screw you. You got it. This is your job. Yeah, yeah. That's not okay.
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, it seems like these shop owners and you, I, you know, you can't, you can't like paint with a broad brush on every owner, obviously, um, but it, it does seem like what we saw with this pandemic is you, you saw these guys or, and gals who are, you know, <clears throat> self-proclaimed progressives and advocates for people and want to treat their employees right and want to do the, the best that they can be or be the best they can be for their employees. When their back was against the wall, mm-hmm. that was where they kind of saw their true colors. And COVID-19 has really been that. Yeah
2: exactly and you know they say we have to make money and we got to do this and that but in the end how you're not gonna make money if you don't have a staff and that's what was happening is these shops are losing their staffs
1: mm, yeah well and really like a lot of the issues that you were touching on it, that kind of come down to the owners putting business first um those have been happening in the service industry, which the you know, the cafe end of the
0: coffee industry is very much a part of for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a survival thing. And, yeah. and I I can't uh <laughs> I, I have a I have a hard time saying like I understand that like you can't have a cafe that's progressive if the cafe doesn't survive, that it, it doesn't make money, right? So it is this weird Back against the wall, yeah, survival situation, and unfortunately, the people in a service industry, like the servers in a service industry, whether it's you know uh, baristas, uh, servers, bartenders, all of these people um, already make like shit wages. Yeah, they. <laughs> they're they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. You either have shit wages mm-hmm. and and like an, an increasingly uncomfortable workplace scenario mm-hmm. because of something like COVID, or you have no job. Is mm-hmm. really what the other end of the spectrum is, and mm-hmm. and and that's not me like trying to like that that's not me trying to like back you know, like. <laughs> be on the side of the cafe owners that are treating their employees this way. Mm-hmm. But I just I think I'm recognizing that like we, we got stuck in this scenario in this this weird time frame where there was no voluntary um, support. It was mm. make or break for a lot of companies and we saw so many companies. Closed their doors, yeah, because they couldn't make it. So it just sucks to have to be on that end of of the problem, where like you don't, you can't even advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see? So have you seen a lot of other baristas in the industry, or I should just say coffee people in the industry, also have uh, a, a similar experience?
2: Yes and no. So um, a friend of mine, I mean. For most of the co- people in the coffee industry, we were making better money on an appointment when we had all the mandatory shutdowns in early yep. twenty twenty, and that made a lot of folks kind of reevaluate how they're perceiving like this position, the money we make doing barice, you know, working as baristas, roasters, production, whatever. And I know a couple people were like. I don't want to go back to work. I'm making money hand over fist. I'm not breaking my back. My mental health is better. And kind of yeah. made them realign. You know, I'm going to look for a job where I could be making X amount of money and not be working so hard. And that was a big common thing. I noticed with folks um, is that they don't want to go back to work. They were given the option. Hey, can you either come back to work or not? Some mm-hmm. chose to go back some did not and those who did found that they had a they were in a bad headspace the whole time because they didn't want to be there they didn't feel valued for their labor i mean none of us do but um you know it's it's a really difficult position to be in and a lot of the coffee folks i spoke to were like you know it's not you know we can point a finger wherever we want right for how folks are feeling it's a pandemic, you know, it's a whole another discussion, but it's like the government should have paid people to stay home, you know, like why was food service essential? Why were we forced to be put in this position? Um, but I I digress, it's neither here than here with this discussion. Um, but basically coffee folks were screwed, um, in a lot of ways. I mean, you had baristas, especially I kind of noticed it was almost like regional. I kinda wanna like see further on this data because it'd be kind of fascinating but i noticed a lot of baristas in the midwest and the south did not get unemployment they were really struggling um there were stipulations on their benefits so there was a lot of like funds going around for supporting baristas um i know in like tennessee i saw a handful of those um a couple from like i want to say arkansas too there's folks you know raising money but it's um folks just feel burned out and having to go back to work during a pandemic under these very stressful and traumatizing conditions Mm -hmm. it's really hard and then to know that like you were making more money being safe taking care of yourself at home than you are you know having to work now it's it's really difficult and um I know like for myself that was part of it too it's I don't feel like it was worth it for me to be putting myself out there, but I, I had to work and I had a couple other friends who also were like, I have like, if I don't work now, I'm going to lose my job. I don't have job security. Uh, you know, we have to go back out there. And they were, um, they really struggled with it. Cause they were like, I don't, I think this is crap. Like I shouldn't be working. We shouldn't be working. Like he was really advocating with, like, local government here to be, like, pay food service workers, pay these businesses to close. Like, yeah. we're barely making money. People who are coming in here don't rec- don't need us. Like, we're not essential. Yeah. Like, shut it down. Pay us to stay home. Like, yeah. he was really all about it. Um, but it's it's tough, and everybody was feeling it in one way or another. And then you have folks, too, who are, like, just grateful that you know, cafes were still open. They were like essential. It made them feel like they had worth and, you know, they had a reason to get up every day. So, I mean, I know my personal experience, I know the experience of folks I've spoken to directly, but I'm sure like every coffee person is going to have a different take on, you know, the, the situation as a whole. And then, those who actually look into exiting the industry because of these things. And then there's others who are thinking about leaving for periods of time prior to the pandemic. And then I've also talked to coffee folks who just rage quit, left the industry and never looked back. And said so it's the best, best move ever. So it's, it's so difficult because it's just, it's so situational.
0: Yeah. I, <clears throat> I, I don't want to derail the conversation too much, but one thing that pops up, in my head is that uh, a lot of people who worked laborious jobs or you know were working in an industry that didn't pay very well that did get to stay home when we were shut down got a taste of UBI <laughs> or universal basic income and got got a taste of what life could be like for everybody mm-hmm. if work was not a survival mechanism or a survival tool mm-hmm. and instead was a tool for expression of creativity of passion yeah. and of community if if you wanted to be a barista not because you have to you have to work 35 or 40 hours a week in order to pay your bills in order to survive like the bare minimum food shelter water yeah all of a sudden, you could do it for the love of creating coffee or creating memorable experiences with people that walk into your shop and mm-hmm. connecting with people and improving their days. Mm-hmm. And it it's frustrating because I did see I I really didn't expect this, but like I saw so many people, including our friend Chris, mm-hmm. Chris Kerr, who like had to stay home because it was you know mandatory shutdown for a while. We all yep. got unemployment mm-hmm. benefits, and they were extended thanks to the you know, the stimulus from the government Mm -hmm. and people all of a sudden had the money that they needed to survive and time and space to take care of themselves. Yeah. Mm hmm be good to themselves and think about the things that really matter to them. What do I want to do with my life? How do I want to express myself as a person on this planet mm-hmm. instead of the constant rat race of if I don't go to work today, I can't pay my bills. I'll be out on the street, yep. which happens to people. Yeah. So uh, the, the anger is, is, is there. The frustration is there and I, and I feel it and I Don't know what the answers are because certainly there are (laughs) so many people, so many groups of people in the world that are anti-UBI or anti really just lifting up the lower middle class. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is just one of many examples. Yeah. Thoughts. (laughs) I didn't have a follow up question. No, I'm processing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. We just uh, we really... It the the pandemic really cracked wide open that um, that facet of life. Yeah. Well and there's there's
1: kind of a new zeitgeist coming about. And it's been coming about, you know, relatively incrementally for a long period of time. And I, I think it you know people having to stay at home but having a livable wage enhanced the progression of that zeitgeist and it's that we don't want to have to work to right yeah what what you're saying you know we don't want to have to work to live we want to be able to live so that we can go and be productive at work yes
0: yeah it's it's about doing doing work that is meaningful to you yeah and to the world Mm mm-hmm and that even gets into really the you know the concept of like socialism where the workers who produce the labor who provide the labor yeah. own the means of production yeah. and that the the business owner the person who brought forth the capital mm-hmm. is just a team member in that group yep. and that you don't necessarily get to make 130 times what your base wages mm-hmm. are do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um a- and I'm not I'm not sitting it, The Upstate Coffee Collective podcast is not Sitting here necessarily You know Matt is holding a hammer And a sickle right, adv- now. <laughs> right now Advocating
1: I just want everyone to know He
0: pulled them out from
1: <laughs> under the table While he said that. he's gonna
2: get He's gonna pull out the conquest of bread Next and then you know And then he's gonna have the communist Manifesto in the other hand because then we're gonna Go totally on that other spectrum
1: Yeah that's what we're doing um, Marxism no I, I, I know where you're going and you know it's uh, the only thing that I would care to say from my base level education uh, in this realm like from what I know uh, it and I could be wrong sure right All right. Right. All right um but to me it seems like the word we're going to continue hearing as we assess Uh, our culture, right? Um, And this kind of goes into like something that I've been feeling that it relates to the coffee industry, it relates to the service industry, it relates to, you know, a lot of things. The word we're going to be hearing more and more is systemic. Okay. Because the problems we're dealing with are problems that have been built up over time, over the course of generations, into the fabric of society and culture. So they are in fact systemic, right? And now we are attempting to like... Uh we're we are attempting to adjust them. We're mm-hmm. attempting to move forward with different versions of them. We're attempting to reform them. And these words are scary for a lot of people. Um and that that's really like that's as much as I kinda have on that right now. I have a lot of like time where I sit down, you know how I am, Matt. Like I'm I'm very into you know, I I'm reading like Deleuze and Guattari in my free time, and yeah, and I don't share that a lot with people. But like, when I sit down and I'm thinking about things like this, and my brain is just, I'm kind of turning my own wheels. Uh, this is what comes up: is that there's there's patterns that just they pop up in society, and as you see them, you can see the changing of times and the move away from the coffee industry as a means of better health for a lot of people, which is really what we're talking about right now, is a move away from service industry as a means of better health for people. I just had a conversation yesterday with someone who left the service industry not too long ago. Mm. And the conversation, and I've had this conversation probably a dozen times, was I just couldn't do that lifestyle anymore. That's the crux of it. It was I couldn't do that lifestyle anymore. So here we are, and we were we were working the same shift yeah. yesterday, right? And here we are, and we're having the same, and we're echoing that sentiment. And that echoed sentiment proves that there is even possibly just in a local fashion, right, a systemic issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That's very well put. Because like. I mean, it is a lifestyle to be in the service industry. Yeah. And then the minute you realize that you don't have to continue that lifestyle if it's not working for you, like this pandemic with folks staying home, that's when you kind of realize, like, that lifestyle was not serving me. Yeah. And that was something, like, I know I experienced. I really realized I was like, that I can't do this anymore. Like, the, Inconsistencies with my schedule, not knowing what my life was, you know, my life is dictated by my work schedule. And yeah. it shouldn't be like that necessarily. But now, like, and your friend saying, like, you can do it lifestyle more. Like, that's honestly, like, that's the best way to put it. Like, not everybody can maintain that lifestyle and not yeah. everybody enjoys that lifestyle.
1: You know, and one thing that I'll say for you, Kat, and that I applaud is that you tried, like, it's not like you just let you, you didn't, uh, as, as you said earlier, you didn't just rage quit the industry, right? Like you, it feels to me like from what you've said and, you know, your, your journey over the past year to eventually working in the water industry was that, you know, you, you tried to make coffee work because you were a coffee professional. I mean, For sure. you still are a coffee professional. Like you haven't lost that professionality that you gained through working in the coffee industry. But, you know, like you were you were an active coffee professional for so long. And it seems like you were trying to make that work and continue that career. And it just like time and time again, the the industry itself in one facet or another, you know, in these specific examples that you've laid out was letting you down.
2: Oh, for sure. And it got to the point where you know, over the years, I was kind of like, "What? what's my next step going to be? Like, I don't want to just be a barista. I don't want to just be a roaster. Do I want to go to origin? Do I want to get into green, like being an importer or exporter? Do I want to work for, like, oh, I'm international or inter-American or Atlas or, you know, or something like that?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I actually, at one point, I was pursuing a position with inter-American in Providence. Um, but at that time, I was... I had imposter syndrome. I was like, I've only been a barista. I can't sit at a desk and like make contracts and work with production, um, production managers and figure out like what coffees people want to bring in. Who am I to think that like, you know, I have the, you know, the knowledge and the experience to qualify for a job like this. And that was like, that was like six years ago now. And even now I think about it and I'm like, when I was pursuing the job I, I have now, um, it was similar to that, like kind of like a poster. Like, I've been in coffee, I've been in the service industry for 10 years, 10 plus years. Like, who am I to think I can, you know, talk to basically folks trying to buy different pumps and filtration systems for like, um, example pharmaceutical production facilities to filter out their wastewater before it goes into the city sewers um but then i found that you know i've been a coffee professional for so long but i've had so many hats within the industry that it translates like pretty perfectly for any literally like any industrial um kind of like facet of industry i found like even with like steel and metal working there's a lot of parallels with like stuff you do within the coffee industry from my production experience um and like tech support and roasting it's yeah. kind of funny but um like i don't i may not identify like as a coffee professional anymore i still have my certifications i'm still invited to you know different events i'm still asked about consulting um mm-hmm. but you know i want to keep coffee as like as I tell people like my fun passion thing I don't want it to like be a weight on me anymore yeah. um but it's definitely you know that experience I had in the coffee industry helped shape me into the person I am which is mm-hmm. kind of cool um you know and it was something I thought I was really great at and I was confident in so I kept building my knowledge base on that but in reality like anybody can build their knowledge base with anything they want. So just because, you know, you're fluent in one thing doesn't mean you're not going to build and gain knowledge for something else. And personally, that was something I struggled with accepting and understanding. And also like going through kind of like an identity crisis professionally, I was diagnosed as autistic um, in my like very early thirties, which now I was like, that makes sense that make you know like looking back i'm like oh that makes sense why a b and c is so easy for me um so going through that kind of like professional and personal identity crisis like i am a person with autism and you know there's no autistic people nine times out of ten you know somebody with autism who just hasn't been diagnosed or they're not open about it which i learned recently um Mm -hmm. but It kind of helps in kind of like understanding how my brain works. And that's why, like, for example, coffee, I learned everything that I had access to about the coffee industry. And I was able to understand it was because like, that's how my brain works. So with these other industries, that's like understanding water processing equipment is becoming very easy for me and um, other similar things to what I'm doing now. So, you know, getting out of coffee it's like coffee's the fun thing now and now it's like i have my job that i enjoy doing it keeps my brain busy like i actually enjoy my work now but yeah you know different different industries similar stuff but it's definitely like understanding that just because i have this background and experience in coffee it doesn't mean i have to stay there forever and once i realized that it was kind of like a game
1: changer
0: yeah, totally. that's huge. I three. Did you have something? I've got something too, but you go first. Okay,
1: a couple things that I really love there. Um, one, I love that you've been sharing your um, later in life diagnosis with autism. Two, I love that you said person with autism because people first language is super important. Yes. People don't realize how important that is. Uh, and three, one thing that I wanted to take a quick moment to mention: cat is probably one of the most like and I not to tout that you're going to do this forever but cat is a really great source of information on social media um and always has been Mm. um in that the posts that you share are thoughtful and conscious and Mm. conscientious uh and and they consider people and that's a lot of what we're talking about right now so thank you
0: totally no totally i think (laughs) i think even just to summarize what you said is that we appreciate you and we appreciate the um, the context and the way in which you uh, the way in which you express yourself mm-hmm. and share information and your beliefs. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so thank you for that, Kev. I I think, um, I think that was really great. Yeah. My question, this has kind of just been like floating in my head throughout like the entirety of this conversation. Yeah. is maybe we could do a thought experiment here where I ask you, um, to imagine a a world or an environment in which you would have stayed in coffee, what does that look like? Is it pay? Is it um, personal freedoms, creativity? What what are the safety. types safety? <laughs> what are the types of things that that somebody? Let's say I'm like a business owner that employed you. Like, what are some things that I could have done differently or better that would have encouraged you to continue on your journey? in the coffee industry full time. That's good.
2: So I was asked this by um, a friend of ours that was kind of like they offered me a job. They offered me a job to come back to New York and they're like, What do I what would it take to get you to come back to New York to do this? And I was like, first of all I'm not coming back to New York. <laughs> but um <laughs> They were kind of like, What what would it take to get you to come here? And it's like when I made the decision to leave the industry, I thought about that conversation I had with them. And I was kind of like, you know what, that's the same conversation I had with him. And it was you know, after being in an industry with so such an inconsistent weekly schedule, no matter what I was doing, it really wears on you. And I was, you know, in my head I was like, I need set schedule, I need you know, guaranteed, whether it be salary or guaranteed hourly pay within, you know, basically I want a contract that's like, if they don't want to do salary, then doing like guaranteed hourly wage, guaranteed hours per week. Mm-hmm. Um, I would want like a safe environment. Um, personally, I was pretty much done with customer facing roles. So I wouldn't really want to be physically like, facing customers anymore. Mm-hmm. I'd be fine. Like, Helping out behind a bar is needed, but I wanted to do more of um like growth development for the company. I'd rather do more like production. Essentially, I would wanna create roast profiles. So I wouldn't want to do production roasting, but I'd want to do sample roasting. Um it's similar to what I was doing in Newport for a minute, which was I'd sample roast, I decide how we're gonna roast each batch of coffee. My production roaster, my roasting assistant at the time, would go and do it. He'd do a full batch at the parameters, I decided. We'd make sure everything worked out. Um, we had, at that time, they had one of the first custom moorings. So it was a lot of trial and error with that, which I loved doing, honestly. Um, playing with data, understanding um how like the machine works when you up batches. It's not just like on the neural you just plug in your information on their computer program. It's you have to do the math yourself and make sure everything checks out. So in my head, I was like, if I could play around with stuff like that all the time, that'd be great. But it's just not realistic. Um, You know, there's no roaster out there that has that kind of volume to where someone can literally just sample a roast and play around with parameters 40 hours a week. You know, it's just not realistic. Um, but they keep me in the industry. It's just like, it's, it's really hard to say. And it's in like, in a realistic sense, because it's kind of like these little things I enjoy doing, but they were little things that you can't make a full career out of those things. They don't need to be done that often, if that makes sense. Um, but you know, like the dream job, it's kind of like, a lot of job security things because in the end, most coffee jobs do not have true job security. Um, Most are in at-will employment states. Um, Mm -hmm. Side note, I used to do, I used to work with the industrial workers of the world and unionizing baristas. In Mm -hmm. about 2010, 2012, I was trying to help baristas unionize at one point. And that was a big thing is like, consistent schedules, consistent pay. And that's something everybody wants in a job. Mm I feel it's not, you're not asking the world of that, but I digress. Um, but yeah, if I just have a job where I'm just messing around with roast profiles, ordering coffee all day, like that's the dream. But also like I'm a person who needs, who wants control over every facet of that. So that's mm-hmm. even more unrealistic unless I were to start my own production company, which also is not something I've ever wanted to do because there is a lot of risk in starting up that. And just being a shop owner is something I used to entertain and kind of like consider. But at this point there's, I learned that I would not be happy doing that. Um, So like in a true realistic sense, there really isn't anything anybody could do to keep me in this industry, especially in the direction it's heading also from like an agricultural standpoint and sustainability. It's just, I mean, like, Seven years ago, I went to La Royal Lecture at Expo, and one of the presenters was from Brazil, and he said, I don't think coffee will exist in 50 years. So whenever I think about the industry, I think about that lecture. I'm kind of like, coffee as we know it may not exist the same in a matter of decades. So it's kind of like, there's just so many factors going on with that
1: yeah was he referencing specifically climate change
2: oh absolutely yeah and i remember like part of the lecture he was like yeah eventually i'm gonna have to turn my coffee farm into like hydroponic and greenhouse system because like where my farm is it's gonna be a desert in like 40 years and like nobody reacted in the room and i remember like talking to the presenter after i was like wait what are you talking about and he was like yeah, like the elevation, like we truly don't believe like our farm will exist for another generation. Mm. And that was just kinda like, you know, disheartening to hear. Yeah. But when I, you know, thought about my exit with the industry and like when people were offering me other jobs in the industry the past few like few months to the year, you know, it's just like I'm asking I like my requirements and my requests for the industry just there's no way I would ever receive that or they're impossible to create.
0: For for people who are listening who maybe um, don't work in the industry or maybe, I don't know, don't have the context, um, I'll ask this. I think, like, I, I tend to uh, lean into my early perceptions of coffee because I am a, a, a noob to the industry. You know, I, I've never worked as a barista. Um, Everything that I do is for the love of it. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it is self-actuated. So when I hear, you know, somebody starts off as a barista and has dreams to, you know, like they want to be a roaster, they want to roast coffee. um, And I even think all the way up to like, you know, Luke Rock, who really has his own, he, he has like full control over his production facility he is building. He's a roaster with a roasting
1: program. Right.
0: Yes. That is his shtick. When I look at that level in the coffee industry, I mm-hmm. know that baristas start at, you know, minimum wage, with with tips, with, right. tips, with incremental increases over time, merit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. What does a roaster, like just a production roaster, make in terms of um, wage? If you're comfortable telling us that,
2: I can definitely speak to that. So a fun fact is for those who are into like beer brewing, right? Um, breweries, mm-hmm. coffee production and breweries are, I don't know about 2020, but in 2019 was the most underpaid introductory position in an industry. Oh, I believe so I have a few friends in the brewing industry, one of which actually, um, they moved to Connecticut around the same time I did. And they were telling me, that starting wage for a brewing assistant full time, the average is about fourteen dollars an hour. Wow. Um that is the same for roasting production. So my roasting assistant, I made sure that at the time, this is like seven years ago, they were making fourteen an hour because mm-hmm. I felt that was fair for the labor involved and everything. You know, and also is like to stay within budget for my labor costs. Um, for myself, I was paying myself fifteen dollars an hour because that's all I could afford in my labor budget. Mm-hmm. Um, when you break down the work, I feel that roasters, whether production roasting, it's a lot of physical labor. You're doing, you're multitasking more than you would. I'm going to speak to my personal experience. I'm not saying this industry-wide, but I was multitasking far more as a production roaster than I was as a barista, and I'd be making more money because of tips as a barista, but I was doing probably like three to five times the physical and mental labor as a roaster than up front. Mm. And you don't get tipped as a roaster. So the biggest thing with folks who want to get into roasting coming from a barista standpoint is a lot of roasteries they don't what they'll do and i know my shop did this um so say you're a barista you want to start roasting you just get your hourly you don't get your tip wage anymore so you're essentially getting paid minimum wage to now do far more work than you were up front Mm -hmm. and they say like the benefit is gaining the knowledge and there are a few roasteries i br- briefly worked at or consulted with who did this so they take baristas from the front who want to learn how to roast bring them into the back and they said that their owners told them yeah we're not tipping you because you're not working up front but like you're getting this knowledge so that should make up for the the difference in your wage
0: you're getting this trial by fire knowledge that, that's that's the equivalent of an that's the equivalent of what you would say to an unpaid intern you know yeah well oh, that's what it is right yeah yeah we're paying you for experience and and in, we're paying you in experience and exposure or whatever pay to play bro yeah oh my god Yep.
1: it's yeah literally it's like pay to play right <laughs> that's, Like that's what i think of <laughs>
2: You get to play on this show, but you got to sell all these. Oh, my gosh. You got
1: to sell ah, 150 a- tickets, yeah! but you get to open up as the first band out of six for this touring band
0: on an off tour night. There will be four to five people in the audience at that time. Yeah. <laughs> like, for anybody listening. Yeah, the doors know open at three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, all, we
1: all understand that aspect of the music industry a little too well. <sighs> Battle
0: of the bands. That's all I'm going to say. Right. battle the bands
1: well that makes sense because you know look at i bet i bet a lot of the people who owned venues uh you know you could put them in a position to own a cafe and they would probably apply the same logistics you know <laughs> they do uh,
2: from experience they
0: do there you go <laughs> so all right so we we've we've kind of aired our woes about the the state of the industry we've covered a little bit about how Talked about some doom Little doom, little gloom, then a little bloom. Okay, talked about the thing. (laughs) I don't know. We talked about (laughs) the things that could potentially make the coffee industry uh, worth working in. Yes, right. Ways we could improve it. Yes. Um, I mean, first, first of all, (laughs) you paid yourself fifteen dollars an hour, which is the suggested minimum wage now. Like we're screaming for a fifteen dollars minimum wage, and that is still barely livable. Yeah. OK, so now that we have that, <laughs> like yeah. you, you're not you're not moving from barista to a roaster and and finally making bank and be, you know, buying a house and having some kids like yeah. you're still struggling. So mm-hmm. now let's talk about you moved out of the, the coffee industry. Coffee is now a passion of yours. You're still an active professional, um, mm-hmm. but at your own leisure. Tell us a little bit more about. Uh, the changes you've seen being now uh, out of the coffee industry, working as a professional, you have a desk job. Oh yeah. What What are some positive changes you're seeing there? Mm.
1: So
2: overall, I see that like my mental health is overall better. Um, so for coffee, I used to just bring home bags of beans that like, oh, this looked good, or like, you know, we'd get an order in, and I'm like, oh, well, you know my partner needs coffee at home. Cause we actually work for the same company um, now. So he started there a few months ago. So I'd always think like, Oh, he needs coffee. I'm going to just bring home whatever. Now I'm finding myself. Um, I guess like really looking at the coffee I'm interested in now. So like we've been ordering like from Tachi, um, Luke from crew, gave me some beans that were great. Um, Matt Beer, who some of us know, um, he's become a really good friend of mine. He sent me some beans um, for my birthday last month that were awesome. And it's like gave me a list of roasters to check out. So now I'm actually like really looking into who I'm getting my coffee from. Um, I got some, I ordered coffee from you guys, your highlight roast. I was talking to Ron from Stack's about ordering more coffee from him. Um, so it's fun because now I'm looking at ordering coffee. It's not as like, Oh, I don't have any coffee at home. I don't want to drive to work to get coffee on my day off. Let's just get whatever to have in the house. Now I'm like, I'm in control of my own coffee every day. I'm going to make it kind of like a ritual now, like making coffee for us, you know, in the morning before work. So that's been really great because now I'm looking at what everyone's doing and like, what everybody's importing, what they're roasting, what they're offering Mm -hmm. um, but like a new perspective. And that's really great because usually it was like, Oh, I'm going to order this. This is from my friend. I want to support my friend or like, this looks good. Or, Oh, I was interested in like buying this coffee green at one point. I want to know what they did with it. It's totally different perspective as just a consumer. So that's kind of cool to see the angle. All our friends are kind of putting their products out on and taking advantage of that essentially um but overall it's been fun like now we're like look- like the joke was always i want a home espresso setup right i want to build my yep. own linear mini i'm going to plumb it indoor plumbing um and now i'm like revisiting that whole thing because it's like you know before it was whatever they use to set up if i'm at a shop every day like i'm never going to use it but now it's like no, I want to bring specialty coffee into my home in my own capacity. Mm. So it's kind of making coffee fun. It's not like my day job anymore. It's not just like you know, like yeah, I'm passionate about this, but like, it's really hard to, to you know to hold it up in a positive light. So now it's making coffee fun again. It's making it enjoyable for me because I don't have that whole stress of it on me on me anymore. Um, and like with my job coffee everybody drinks it but they all think Dunkin Donuts is the gold standard Mm -hmm. so everybody there knows I come from coffee I've already been asked to like bring in really good stuff and like you know do that whole thing
1: are you changing minds on the Dunkin Donuts thing
2: (laughs) um no but
1: (laughs) no probably not
2: (laughs) we'll see I mean I I want to like you know eventually bring in the fun stuff but
0: you
2: know, stay on you gotta time.
1: Yeah, you got to work your way up to that.
0: I've I've been um, so in my at, at my office job, I've been forcing people on my coffee uh, in in a in a <laughs> way walking
1: around and hand pouring it for people.
0: <laughs> hey, cup now. Uh, <laughs> no, what I started doing is somebody. So um, the gold standard at my office is Folgers pre-ground in the, in the the big red bucket that they mm-hmm. have. You know the. the uh, the uh, the freshness seal or whatever the they call big it, big red bucket. Yeah. So, uh, and they make it on a on a um, on a multi burner bun brewer, that mm-hmm. giant one with like the four burners and the. Uh, so, <laughs> what I started doing when I took over the coffee program there, uh, ultimately, right, was I said, okay, I'm not going to like I let people know that I have a little coffee thing on the side. Yeah. And I, I needed to make sure there was no conflict of interest. So I definitely did not like s- try and advertise my coffee yeah. to people. But I did say, all right, here's what I'm going to do every Wednesday. Happy hump day. I'm bringing in like 100 or 200 grams of some coffee, coffee that I have lying around because oh. I, I have so much coffee. Mm-hmm. And then I would brew it in a in, in one of the other pots that people don't usually use. And I'll say, hey, it's available uh enjoy it here's a short description i would send it out in a blast email of my people and people are slowly getting more and more into interested they're fucking they start running to the pot like because there's not enough for everybody it's one pot so like the pot is on and i say it's on and you see people like scramble like get up whoa gotta Gotta go get it before it's gone and it's cool right and people will like hit me up be like so like what's what's the deal with that coffee i'm like well it's you know it's this and it's got you know it's processed this way and it's uh and people are like starting to get into it yeah but you bet your ass i have a zero percent chance of converting them from the baseline folgers there's no doubt oh yeah well i mean no no chance they
2: like what they like it's like i try converting my family Exactly. Like I tried converting my family for years, and it's like I found at my mother's house a bag of coffee I blended and roasted for her five years ago, mm-hmm. still sealed in the jar.
1: <laughs> oh man, <laughs> like a bad Christmas gift, just left. Literally, there. <laughs> literally.
2: It's like, <sighs> like, you know, like people mention they're like, oh, if you have any suggestions for our coffee, like we want to know what we could do better. And in my head, I'm working at the president of the company. He's a great guy, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, "Oh, okay. And in my head, I'm like, you just spent nine grand on this setup you have. You just told me what you spent not even a year ago on this machine on the stock for the coffee. They have 12 different options for coffee pods you can use. I'm like, I'm not gonna tell you to scrap this whole thing <laughs> like, yeah. no
1: yeah no that's not th- no he wanted he was hoping you, that you would come back with like uh well you know there are better pods
0: out there <laughs> you should try these specialty pods
2: oh god but eventually i want to do kind of like a weekly you know like what you're saying matt like hey i have this like there is a traditional coffee brewer and like there is mm. a keurig somewhere I, I saw but just being like we have this if you want to try something different and yeah you know it's like Perfect exam. You know, when you go to the airport, right, and it has that hazelnut artificial sweetener smell, like when you're approaching any of the coffee retailers, you have like the Starbucks, um, the Dunkin', depending on, you know, where you're traveling from, Nespresso, like you can like, you can smell it before you're approaching that counter. Mm-hmm. That's how the entire office smells in the morning from this machine. Yum. So if yeah. I could... Bring in something fun, but you know, people like what they like, yep. and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, one of my one of my final questions for the day is: uh, So you're you're enjoying brewing coffee at home again? It's more fun to you again. Uh, what's your preferred brewer right now? What are you brewing on?
2: Um. So honestly, we are doing a lot of batch just because it's easier. Um. We have, like, one of the ninja brewers, and we just, like, filter, measure our water for it. It's not the worst in the world. Um, It's definitely out of laziness. We, you know, (laughs) I still have a Chemex. Um, We have an Aeropress. You know, we got all the fun stuff in the kettles, but honestly, it's been a lot of just batch brew and playing with the parameters on that. Um, It is super customizable, so I can, what I personally do is I brew it on its, like, cold brew setting. And what it does is it just, like, does shorter, longer, shorter increments of time between pulses, but more volume is dispersed during the pulses of water for its cold brew setting. So I've been playing with that and then just leaving the burner on so it does warm it a little because it uses still hot water, but it doesn't keep its burner underneath on. So I've just been customizing basically how the machine works and finding ways to kind of, like, you know brew my coffee how i want it how i want it to come out but without having to do the physical labor behind brewing it
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally get it
2: i like i've been watching a lot of james hoffman videos about like customizing espresso machines for home and i was oh. like i think i can like hack the ninja to do what i want and um apparently a lot of people do that on different forums so it's kind of like oh my god like people buy this like two hundred dollar coffee brewer and then like six hours you know of their time total and it's literally like a monster can do whatever you want it to do Uh, so that's that's like it's cool um but on the days where i'm like oh i want to have like a nice pour over you know i still get out my little chemex you know i i um you know, I still do my recipe of, like, 350 grams of water, 22 grams of coffee. Do the the rail spin with the slurry nice. and all that. Yeah. But, yeah.
0: Uh, speaking Matt, of the James Matt Hoffman, only asked
1: that because, you know, he, he wants to humble flex on his new coffee gear that he just bought uh, last
0: night. <laughs> I got a little tipsy last night and spent, like, $140 on... Um, a tim Amore, uh, coffee brewing stand and uh <laughs> <laughs> and a, and an origami brewer oh my god <laughs> oh my god it yeah. was like it was like 12 o'clock in the morning and i'm like laying in bed kenzie's already asleep and i'm on my phone like i just found myself on slow pour uh slow pour supply <laughs> It was my first time. time like, it is dangerous. Yeah. I've never been on slow pour supply before yeah. until last night.
1: It's like it's, it's like Matt walked into Digital Target at midnight. <laughs> digital coffee person. Target. <laughs> digital coffee target. <laughs>
0: I was like, "Fuck it, I don't know. Let's just let's do it." I haven't bought coffee gear in a long time, and I was, yeah, I've got it. I've you, got. You deserve it. I deserve. You deserve. Uh, all right, Cat. What's your what's in your mug since you're brewing you're brewing on a batch brewer that's tight what are you what are you drinking <laughs> today um, today <laughs> so
2: today i actually made um i made cold brew concentrate like old school style i yes. had some i had a guatemala uh wash process coffee from edison out of texas oh, nice. um I had frozen the beans. They're roasted in late March. I froze them because I was kind of like experimenting with making my own concentrate um, from home. I have a... Uh, I have Toddy's home uh, cold brew, kind of like little setup, which is kind of neat. So, yep. um, I made some concentrate with the Edison and it was actually really good. I've been kind of experimenting too yeah. with making my own blends from different coffees. Um, So one thing when I was roasting I would experiment with is blending pre-roast and then blending post-roasting. And sometimes Mm -hmm. with post-roasting, you get different notes because you're taking, like, two different coffees that were roasted on separate profiles, you're bringing them together. So um, I was kind of trying the Edison on its own because I have another guat. um, Or I'm sorry, it's not a guat, it's a Honda. It was, like, a late-season Honduras that was naturally processed from Kumo. So that one I felt was like lacking a little. That I felt the Edison can bring it out. So I was actually testing my concentrate of just the Edison, so I can see about combining those two and brewing a concentrate of those two coffees together to kind of like balance one another out. So um, it was pretty good. It was like super florally. Oh, like I had a little bit of like fruit to it, Mm -hmm. but. For me in the freezer, I found with certain coffees after you know you freeze it to preserve it, but it loses a little bit of like you know those really hearty fruity notes. So this original was have like you note know, of stone fruit. It came out more kind of like like lemony.
1: Yeah.
2: Um But it was pretty good as a hot coffee. This coffee was great. It was super floral. Um yeah. It was super sweet, well balanced. You know, and it. Harbored a little bit of that as a concentrate but yeah that's like my project now is just like messing around with the coffees I have and trying different ways to make it you know more interesting and more fun on my downtime
0: that's that nerdy shit that I like yeah I love that shit Matt what's in our mugs? uh I had to um I had to keep uh a little bit of extra touchy geisha this is the Carlos Belalcazar yeah um. Holy shit! Yeah. So like, you went Still in good. when he dropped this bill out. Uh, the Carlos Bill Alcazar. Mm-hmm. You bought a whole twelve ounce bag of it. I bought the first bag. The first. <laughs> the first. I bag. got
1: it. They wrote it on the card that got sent to me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's tight. <laughs> They're like, you're the first person to buy this coffee. Congrats. and you
0: gave me a little bit. Um, and mm-hmm. then when we ran out, I was so addicted to like I was so into this coffee. That was good. Um that I was like, all right, I'll go buy you know they, they offered it in like a three ounce or a four ounce or mm-hmm. something. And I went and I put the four ounce in my cart and was like kind of the same vibe I had like last night where I was mm-hmm. like fuck it. Mm, you no. know? Gonna so I went like I, I got the twelve. Yeah. yeah. So I had to save a bunch. So I've got a bunch of doses vacuum sealed in the freezer. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I pulled a couple out for us. The Belcazar is still tasting Tea like yeah, it's it's just it's got that light that white peach note, white peach kind of like jasmine sort of a body to it.
1: I drank it before we had officially started the conversation.
0: Me too. Yeah, I crushed it.
1: Yeah, we we were done with our coffee before we even started talking. What's in your
0: mug? Nothing. It's nothing right
1: now. It was good. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yo. Yeah, cat. What? uh, Also, what's what's your jam this week? This
2: week, um. Let's see So um, I've been listening to I mean I don't want to say it because it is pretty controversial Brand new posted Like some of their old demos From like your favorite weapon And so oh, I was oh. really into that Even though like we don't Talk about brand new no, yeah. We don't talk about that um, nope. Honestly for transparency I was really I just wanted to listen to it Sea um, yeah. Haven had a new record last Ooh. year. I was I liked it a lot. I've been told it you no, know, it kind of flopped. I really liked it. I love her. Like that's what I've been into.
1: Nice. Um, but nice.
2: yeah, my look. my jam's been lots of like Sea Haven. Yeah. Honestly,
1: yeah. Apparently, some mineral. That- Did you share that on Tuden's Day? Too? was that was was it Sea Haven on Tuesday this week? I,
2: I might have shamelessly, I might have shamelessly promoted Will's new project.
1: That's what it was. <laughs> yep. Wait, what is that project?
2: Will Cody.
1: Yeah. W
2: i l c o d y. It's yep. really good. He's been working on it for like the last almost a year now. But no, nah, that's good.
0: That's a good jam. I like that one. That's yeah. a nice shameless plug too. I I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Matt, what you listen to? Uh, so brand new, <laughs> <laughs> demos from your
1: favorite weapon. <laughs> uh,
0: God, he I, would be
1: Matt loves Matt loves brand new. Brand new
0: is one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah, I I always say you can cancel Jesse Lacey. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I can't. You cancel, still got the record. I can't cancel brand new. Yeah. Like like the songs, you know. Mm-hmm. To me, the music Brady and the person. He was songwriter. I Mm, I know. Mm. I know.
1: know. Yeah.
2: Hard. It's so hard.
1: It is. Yeah, it's rough. It puts you in a weird position as a music consumer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Like, Ryan Adams has a new record coming out. And I (laughs) was like, oh, my God. Like, I used to love Ryan Adams. But now I'm like, oh, crap. You know, like, stay away from that one.
0: (laughs) What's my jam? First of all, before I say what my jam is, I just want to say, for people who don't know, uh, the... The genesis of tuesday Was the two of you guys Yeah It was <laughs>
1: Well it was <laughs> It was me coming into work and go, Kat listen to this weird music I found <laughs> Yep Like hey yeah
2: Like Kevin would come up front From the back and be like uh, So I'm listening to this Like check this out And it'd always be something kind of wild And I'm like Is that French? Like Is this yeah. Russian? Like what are you listening to? <laughs>
1: At that time, I was into a lot of Norwegian pop. Yeah, what was that one song? Kjartan Luritsen. Oh, which one? Yeah, that one.
0: Uh, you mean that Game one? Boy by Kjartan Luritsen? Kjartan Luritsen. Yeah, that guy. Game Boy. Uh, the one that was all about You're Like Medusa. You get
1: oh, La McVara
0: Efrae. Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know the name, Matt. Clearly. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so my jam this week is... Uh, <laughs> I just been... threw out
1: Norwegian on the podcast. Yeah.
0: Can we <laughs> talk about that? <laughs> Damn it. Uh, <laughs> my jam this week is Good Kid, Mad City <laughs> by Ooh. Kendrick Lamar. Nice. Yeah. I jumped right back into that. Should have been a Grammy. Should have been a Grammy. Ah,
1: I got beat okay. up by the heist remember
0: no oh you don't remember that
1: oh it's huge anyway Mm -mm. well uh you would if you like good kid mad city uh i will cite to you that dissect has a new british version of the podcast called decode yeah and they're currently decoding dave's first album psychodrama uh, yeah in which uh he he says a line that's very akin to good kid mad city really yeah it's really good. Like, right. yeah, I've been listening to that and like I I'm not well versed in British UK hip hop, so like that's been a trip for me. Mm. But um my jam I just heard on the way here and I listened to it like three times is Jasmine Sullivan's Pick Up Your Feelings. Ooh. Oh, it's good. Got a lot of attitude. Yeah? Real good. Yeah. Yeah, nice four count, super bluesy, jazzy R&B. Jasmine Sullivan's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. she's been around forever. She's a
0: virtuoso. Mm. Yeah. I also just need to shout out Natalie Carr one more time. Always, ah, oh, yeah, she's such a vibe, dude. She's doing
1: a good job, man. I
0: love her music. Always
1: proud of our girl, Natalie.
0: Nat, if you are listening, what up? She's we, our girl. We love you. Yeah. Final thoughts, people? Nope. <sighs> nope. You always nope. have a bit. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean?
1: Nope. Uh, that was my bit. This week was we paused long enough for me to go. Nope. Um, cat. Thank you a lot for, like, coming out and sharing with us, you know, something that I, I think is a trend right now is people seeking out better health for themselves and learning to prioritize themselves um, in an honest way, in a forward-thinking way, and in a professional way.
2: Well, well thank you guys. And thanks yeah. for having me again.
0: It's yeah. been fun. Yeah. Yeah, we got to have you... You go, Not only do we have to have you back on, but... um. When you are when back you're, in New York. We, visiting. Well, yeah, we have to hang out when you come back to New York. And when for you sure. feel the itch to do a little bit of sample roasting, we've got a job for you. Whoop. Cue the music.